oh good, I'm glad there's some kids here today because I'm going to really need some help today, okay? Um, you probably realize that I have a grandson here who's two, and he has a favorite song, and oh yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're going to be doing something with that today. Uh, when I looked at the title for today's sermon, it says, now you do it. And that made me think of what we do at school. At school, we have a teaching strategy called I do, we do, you do. And that's how we teach concepts to kids. I model it. I teach you what you need to know, the, the vocabulary, the structure. Then we all do it together. And then you do it so that I know that you've learned it. So we are going to learn a version of a song that my grandson loves to sing. He loves to sing Baby Shark. But we're not going to sing Baby Shark. We're going to sing the tune of Baby Shark. How many of you know Baby Shark? Anybody? Oh, good. I have, I have problems with the do-do-do part. So I'm hoping you guys can help me out with that. Because I, I can only get five in most of the time, and there's supposed to be six. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he calls it boo-boo-doo-doo, <laughs> or mommy-doo-doo. He can't get all six in, but that's okay. So um, I want to start by teaching you the words that you're going to need to know. So there's daddy-doo-doo, right, but we're not going to sing those words. We're going to use um, I will go. So I'm going to go. This is sign language for go. So we're going to use go. Can everybody try that? Go. Go. Good. Now we're going to do teach. Teach. Take the knowledge from your head and give it to somebody else. Teach. Serve. Good. And love. Excellent. Okay. So, here are the words. <laughs> so we sing, I will go, and then do-do-do-do-do-do-do. That's the part I get messed up. And we're going to do it three times. And then the last time it's, I will go. Okay? So it kind of goes like this. I will go, do, 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 do. I will go, do, 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 do. I will go, do, 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 do. I will go. Good. All right. And then the second verse is, I will teach. I will teach, do, 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 do. I will teach, do, 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 do. I will teach, do, 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 do. I will teach. You are good. I will serve, do, 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 do. I will serve, do, 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 do. I will serve, do, 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 do. I will serve. I will love, do, 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 do. I will love, do, 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 do. I will love, do, 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 do. I will love. Awesome. You guys are the best. And I do believe that you will go, you will teach, you will serve, and you will love, just as you have been taught. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you have modeled for us how we should serve, how we should love, 
what we should teach. Help us to be willing as the disciples to go forward to do what you have taught us to do. We thank you for your willingness to walk with us, and we ask you to bless our efforts as we go into the world to teach, to serve, and to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pray. Lord, please do speak to us. Speak through me. Please speak your word, Lord. Let it be clear. Keep our ears and our hearts open to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I gave Bernice kind of a lot to read today, didn't I? <laughs> um, and I don't imagine that everybody sitting here was paying attention to every single verse that she read. Because maybe some of you were. If, if you were, I would love to know that because I'm, I would be impressed. Excellent. So, but I think probably all of us got, we're sitting here, we're all sitting here, right? So we got an impression of the passage. Sometimes it's a really good idea to read small snippets of scripture so we can really focus in. And sometimes it's a good idea to read a big, huge chunk and just kind of get the feel of it. Um, that's kind of what we're doing today. Matthew who wrote the gospel that we've been studying for the last couple months, and we're going to keep studying until we get to probably Advent. Um, he structures it in certain ways. The short version of how he structures it is there's stories, and then there's teaching. And we're focusing more on the stories in this sermon series, so we're not going to dig in super deep into the teaching, but I do think that we can get a, a general idea of what is going on in this passage, but I want, I'm curious to know what your impressions were. Was this, to you, a positive passage or a more negative one? Both. <laughs> Both. Okay. Um, someone want to say a little more about that? <laughs> there are a lot of warnings in there. What's that? He's telling us that we need to go, right? Or at least he's telling his 12 disciples. Okay. A lot of conditional things. Yeah, we don't, we don't always like conditions put on things, unless we're the ones putting them on there, maybe. <laughs> so um, there's this thing that happens sometimes where some of us, are trying to encourage other people to do things, but we give a little bit too much information. There's people like me that could never go into advertising because I just want to tell everybody exactly what to expect, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right up front. And sometimes when you're trying to get people to do stuff, that doesn't work very well because they don't want to know about the bad stuff. And they'll teach you that if you're, if you're trying to if you're trying to uh, encourage people to do something, you want to just give a good spin so that you can uh, get them to get started. And then when the bad stuff crops up, you kind of deal with it as it comes, but you didn't give them a big, huge heads up. So I want to suggest that Jesus here seems like maybe he's giving a little bit too much information. Except... He's, he's giving information that was not given to the human race at the beginning when the serpent 
came into the garden and said to Adam and Eve, If you do this, you will be like God. Right? Here in this story, we, so we, we bought the serpent. He said, you'll be like God. We bought it. Things haven't turned out so great. Here Jesus is telling us what being like God actually looks like in a world that has been taken over by what we've been calling empire. I know there are a couple of Star Wars fans in here today, so I will just clarify. Empire, as I'm using it in this sermon series, is also bad, like in Star Wars. <laughs> um, empire is the, the sin in our lives, the selfishness, the, um, the things that cause us to hurt other people or be hurt by people, but it's also in our systems, in our governments, in our culture, in our society. It's all of these things. And that's basically what we put into place when Adam and Eve listened to the serpent, didn't have all the information. Jesus is saying, this, is, this world has been taken over by empire. This is what it looks like to be like God in that kind of world. Okay, we need to back up a little bit and talk about Matthew again. He's the one that wrote this gospel. And over the last section that we're kind of getting close to wrapping up, Barb will wrap it up for us next week, but he's been showing us that Jesus has authority over everything. Anyone remember some of the things we've pointed out that Jesus has authority over? What's that? Well, everything, right, but specifically, within everything. Okay, demons, um, illness, scripture, nature, Sabbath. Yeah, we haven't talked about that one too much, but that's coming. Um, but also the forgiveness of sins. And so now that Matthew has established, or Jesus has established, that he has authority over everything, Jesus is going to take his authority, and he's going to put it on his disciples, he's giving it to them, and give them too much information? No, give them the information the serpent should have given them in the first place. So first he takes the first steps. At the end of chapter 9, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were completely under the thumb of empire. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I always thought this was kind of funny when I was a kid, because I was like, wait, who's the, who's the Lord of the harvest, though? Isn't it Jesus? <laughs> Maybe it's the Father, but Jesus and the Father were one, and so he's always listening to his Father. And it's kind of, as soon as we get into chapter 10... He says to the disciples, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And then he's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> and finally, last week we said that we hadn't seen a list of the 12 disciples yet. And finally we get to Matthew's list. So Matthew, this is Matthew's second list in his gospel. The first one was in the first chapter. Matthew's lists are not just lists. They are tailored on purpose to communicate something to the Jewish people in particular. Um, I was reading somewhere, I can't remember in which book, but 
I read a testimony of a woman, a Jewish woman, who became a Christian because she read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. She saw that Jesus was the Messiah on the basis of all of those names fulfilling the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. So Matthew is really intentional about communicating specific things, especially to the Jewish people, through his list, that one, and now this one. This, is, this list is the first place that Matthew has identified there being 12 disciples. He's been mentioning disciples before, but he hasn't put a number on them. And now all of a sudden, 12 is a huge deal. Verse 1, Jesus called his 12. Verse 2, these are the names of the 12. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out. Why is 12 a big deal? 12 tribes, exactly. Let's review. We talked about Psalm 8 at the very beginning of this series. And in that psalm, it says, You have made man, God, you have made man a little lower than the angels, crowned him with glory and honor. God is, as we said, bringing us up to his level. God wants to bring us up to his level. And God chose Abraham and his descendants, who were demarcated into 12 tribes, through Isaac, through Jacob, to crown with glory and honor so that the whole world, all people, could get back to God and God could raise us up to his level, to unity with him. In Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul says God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, Jew and Gentile, thus making peace in one body, Jesus' body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. But in order for that to happen, in order for the will of the Father to be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus, the perfect human and the perfect Jew, needed and wanted to focus on the Jews first to fulfill God's promises to them and to reinvite them into the fulfillment of the promise, to invite them to be part of that fulfillment. And so this 12 thing, these 12 disciples are really important. The Bible says, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness, just like Jesus. We've been seeing that over and over again. Jesus heals every disease and sickness. Now he's asking them to do that. 12 disciples representing the 12 original tribes of Israel, now going with Jesus, God's authority, as God had originally intended. And Matthew says, these are the name, names of the 12 apostles. Apostles means sent ones. And he lists the names, and he gives some descriptions for some of them. Someone's somebody else's brother, and, or the son of somebody. He puts himself in the middle of this list, and he says, Matthew the tax collector. We talked about this last week. We talked about how Matthew repented from his sin of tax collecting, which was really treason against his people, why do you think he's still identifying with his sin here? I have to answer that. Just think about it. Maybe he isn't. Maybe he's identifying with the forgiveness of Jesus, and the only way to really do that and bring it home to himself, but also to these Jewish people that he's writing to, is to remember what he was before. 
His past is his testimony of Jesus' goodness. He doesn't want to forget where he's been because he doesn't want to forget what Jesus has done. Matthew, the tax collector, is redefined in Jesus Christ. The traitor to the Jews is one of the twelve who represent the twelve Jewish tribes. These are the names of the twelve sent ones. Matthew, the tax collector, his transfer of his spiritual citizenship from the kingdom, from the empire to the kingdom of God is real. He's also kind of making amends to his people. Before, he betrayed his people to the worldly empire. He basically sold them to the Roman Empire as the tax collector. But now he represents a different kingdom. He represents the kingdom of heaven. And he longs for all of his people, all of the Jewish people, to be free, full members of the people of God, representing God to the world, just like Matthew unbelievably gets to do. He wants them all to be part of this. This is really cool. Even after, we know he wrote his gospel after Jesus was crucified, after Jesus came back to life, after Jesus went back to heaven with, to be with the Father. Even after all of that stuff, Matthew is writing his gospel in such a way that he's still following this first set of instructions to the sent ones. The other apostles get sent by Jesus to other to Gentile groups and other um, demographics, we could say. But Matthew is still trying to follow this set of instructions. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any other town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. He is, by giving them these tasks, he's raising them up to his level. He's giving them, he's lowering his authority to theirs. So, here's where we get to the truth in advertising. He shifts. So, we're going to imagine something. We're, we are not currently in the time where Jesus is first going to the Jews. Yes, we still need to bring the gospel to the Jews. God still intends to make one people out of the two. In our per present context, most of us are Gentile background. So we're going to shift from, this, from thinking about the lost sheep of Israel for a moment, and we're going to imagine that Jesus is here in this building, which I would argue he is. Just imagine that he's physically standing here. It's not me. He is commissioning us. He's commissioning Central Baptist Church. That includes me. You don't have to close your eyes, but if you got a pen or if you have a pen um, and your bulletin, you may want to write some things down because I'm going to just kind of pose some things from this passage. And I, I think it could be really interesting, um, maybe in a month or so, to see what ends up coming to your mind as we go through this kind of contemplative exercise. We've been hearing together about the kingdom for a couple of months now, watching Jesus' life and miracles too. Not in the same way as the disciples, but 
we have been kind of following along as Jesus has been traveling through Galilee. So here's the first question. I don't want anybody to answer these questions out loud. These are just for you. Matthew identifies himself as the tax collector because that is a way that he can show what Jesus has done in his life, the truly miraculous transformation that Jesus has done. Is there something that Jesus has forgiven you for, some maybe consistent thing or persistent sin or struggle that you have? Maybe you don't know if Jesus has forgiven you, but you would like his forgiveness for this. What is that thing that would make it so crazy for Jesus to commission you to do something to give you his authority to do the work of the kingdom in the world around you? What is that thing that is a sign of Jesus' great mercy? Jesus commissioning us to go to. I want us to think about this. There are a lot of visitors here today and not everybody's local. I recognize that. You might answer these questions for yourselves in in your own context where you're actually from. Uh, But if you're part of this church or this broader um, tri-community, I encourage you to, to ask God in this time, what is God inviting you to Who is God inviting you to minister to, to share his good news with? And who might he be inviting our church to reach out to? And along those lines, what authority is Jesus giving us? What task is he giving us to do? The basic things that he commissioned his apostles in this passage were teaching, healing, and driving out demons. There are things within all, those can actually be categories. There are things within all of those categories that we might be able to participate in. In fact, I believe if Jesus is commissioning us, there is something about each three of those things that he wants us to do. What supplies do we need to trust him for? told his disciples, you're going to go out there with the clothes on your backs. Don't bring an extra set of clothes. Don't bring any money. Don't bring any food. Don't just let other people support you. That takes a lot of trust. (laughs) What is God inviting us to trust him to provide for us? There's another piece that's kind of confusing he talks about when you stay with people, only stay with the people who are deserving. We probably can't unpack all that um, today, what that could possibly mean. But at minimum, he was probably telling his disciples, don't look for the best deal for yourself. This isn't about you. If there's, a, for them, they were actually going to stay with people. So if there's a family that maybe doesn't have the nicest house or the best supplies or the best uh, arrangement for you to sleep, like 
my brother's four kids at our house last night. Um, but they love Jesus, and they're interested in what you're trying to share with them. Stay with those people. Don't look for the five-star hotel where the people don't actually care about the kingdom of heaven. Also, well, so then Jesus goes into, he gives them these instructions that are kind of challenging already, and then he goes into what to expect. And he's, it sounds like he's starting to talk a little bit beyond this first commissioning of the twelve. Because um, he starts talking about, you're going to be opposed by the people in your community. You're going to be, um, the people in your in your synagogue or your church aren't going to like what you have to say. And you might get arrested. Then it, he kind of it expands it. Your regional and your national governments are going to take you to court. And your friends and family aren't going to like you. And it sounds pretty grim. He says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children, children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Oh, happy Father's Day. <laughs> it sounds kind of awful. And why is Jesus being so negative? This isn't even a worst-case scenario. He's not saying, you know, go out and do this and... This might happen. To these 12, he's saying, this will happen. How are we feeling about this right now? <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah. This is what happens. This kind of opposition is what happens when the kingdom of heaven confronts the empire that has taken over the world. Since pretty much the beginning of time. In our empire-bound world, everything Jesus has described is actually what it means to be like God, to be at his level, to have his authority in this world, because this is what people have been doing to God since Adam and Eve. The kind of weird thing about this is that Jesus doesn't seem to realize how discouraging this might sound to these 12 disciples or apostles. He's like, this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Don't worry, you'll be given what to say. The Father is going to speak through you. Jesus loves the Father so much. That's the best thing ever. Don't worry, you'll be saved if you stand firm. He is so at one with his Father, even though... When, even though when he faces his own cross, he will ask for that cup to be taken from him, he'll still go through with it, with it because he can't really imagine wanting to do anything else but the will of the Father. And it's almost as if he can't imagine us wanting to do anything else either. Once we are his, once we are part of the kingdom, once we are following in his footsteps, why would we want to do anything but the will of the Father no matter what happens? He tells his 12 and all the rest of us 
the world will hate us. But it's not actually because of what we do, but because of who we're like. Probably should have called this sermon, Now You Be It. (laughs) If we are experiencing opposition in the world, but we are not like Jesus, it's just two versions of empire butting heads. If we are not experiencing opposition in the world, maybe we haven't, and, and we are like Jesus, maybe we haven't gone out as God is commissioning us, or maybe we're in a time of rest, or maybe we're actually not that different from empire as we thought. The world will hate us. Empire will hate people in the kingdom of God the more we are like Jesus. But our Messiah has all authority and has given it to us. In that authority, though, he has made himself vulnerable, like we talked about. He's actually the example of the Beatitudes that we talked about back in chapter 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the peacemakers. He is, he is all of those things. Now he's asking us to be like him in that. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he will find a way to say, eventually, now you do it. Now you be like me. If we say yes, we are taking a step to becoming more like Jesus, to experience experiencing his grace and his mercy, and also to be like our Messiah who carried a cross. This is the first place in Matthew where Jesus hints at what's coming about the cross. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. There is a price to following Jesus. The opposition of empire is that price. Sometimes the opposition of empire is right in here. But the payoff is life, right from the source of life. The Gospel of John says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of humankind. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Our identity is in Christ Jesus and in his kingdom, and that is what will get us into trouble, but it's also what will get us out of it. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care, and even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. When we identify with Jesus to the point that we'll pick up our crosses to follow him, we will become one with him. And then he tells us, anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me, the Father. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, who is my disciple, that's any of us, who is Jesus' disciple, Truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You get what he's saying? 
We will become so much like Jesus. We will become so one with Jesus. People will confuse us with Jesus. I actually have a few friends who, to my knowledge, still don't know Jesus personally, but have um, blessed me because of Jesus. And I know that it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with Jesus. And I'm grateful for that, and I think that's possible here, and I pray that that will happen. And the way for that to happen is for us to choose to follow Jesus and to go, even when he commissions us and gives us too much information. So, I'm going to go back to that question I asked earlier, and we'll go into a, a little bit of silent prayer before I wrap it up. But if what has Jesus forgiven you? Or what would you like Jesus to forgive you for that will free you up to receive his great mercy so that you can follow him wherever he leads? If you have a sin that you don't know if Jesus has forgiven you for, Silently confess that to him now. And then you can silently pray along with me. And please, after the service, share with me if you prayed this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, I am a sinner, but I know that my identity can be in you instead of my sin. Lord Jesus, I know that you took the narrow path and it was hard and you carried your cross for me. I accept your mercy and your forgiveness that I don't deserve. I thank you for it and I want to follow you. I want people to confuse me with you. I want people to see you when they see me. In your name. Amen.